Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much. Lord, I just, I literally thank you for being, being able to be up here, be allowed to be up here. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for Luke, God, this historian, gifted at writing and recording information. I thank you that by the direction of your spirit, he did that. Thank you that down to the, the last letter's dot, it's exactly what you would have had him write to share your story. God, I praise you for that, and I thank you that we're able to, 2,000 years later, to, to read it, translate it into our language and read it and understand it. And, and by the, again, the strength of that same spirit to draw those correct conclusions about how we ought to live and who our Savior really is. God, what a great thing that all is. I thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so reminders. Once again, a little bit longer of an introduction, okay? So, so I want you to bear with me through this introduction, okay? We can do this. We're in Luke, okay? We've been studying Luke. One of the purposes way back in December that I brought up is, I feel like, like I said a moment ago, this is about getting to know who Jesus is. I really believe that's the case, and that's the direction we're going. One of the things that we've learned about Luke, and I always have this temptation because I'm a school teacher, I always have this temptation to give you a quiz or something beforehand to see what you actually remember, like a pop quiz, okay, and then like you get the results back and be like, okay, you guys have forgotten everything I taught you, we're going to have to go back and do this again, but I didn't do that to you. Um, but I will remind you of some of the things. One of those that relates to what we're talking about is that Luke has had a back, the for, back and forth with John the Baptist and Jesus, Okay. And one of the reasons for that is that even in the time of this writing, there was still, John the Baptist still had a lot of followers. I mean, he was a popular speaker. People flocked to him. Okay, we're going to see some examples of that today. And so Luke has been going back and forth comparing John the Baptist to Jesus. And one of the key elements that Luke wants you to see is Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. I don't think Luke has a problem saying that because I think John the Baptist, as we're going to see from the text today, would have told you the exact same thing. Jesus is greater. We went to, from John's birth announcement to Jesus' birth announcement. Then we went back to John's birth, and then we went to Jesus' birth. And then we're right in the middle of John's introduction to his ministry, and we're going to get next, after this, into the introduction to Jesus' ministry, and then the rest of Luke is all about Jesus' ministry. Jesus is the Savior. John was the forerunner. I'm going to read John chapter 3. I'm going to start with verse 1. I toyed around whether or not I needed to read all of this, but I think it's very relevant to re-enter into John's adult life ministry introduction. Okay, so let's read through this together. That's the first uh, 14 verses of John chapter 3. So in the 15th year of the reign of... Now, I'm going to give you a little reminders here and there, because this was the last sermon we had was about this, and this was in January, okay? And some of you, if you're like my students, if I ask them, don't you remember, I taught you that like last week, and they, they have the same response all the time, and I just want to pop them in the head for doing it. Um, we, we've slept since then, and I want to say, oh, so every time you sleep, you forget everything you've learned? What's your name? Do you know that? Anyway. <laughs> angry teacher. I'm an angry teacher. 
All right, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So here you have, and if you remember back, this is a, this is a conglomeration of corrupt leaders. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, and we, some of that we see more and more as the text unfolds. But just, just the people that would have read this initially, they would have gone, oh, yeah, I hate that guy. Oh, yeah, mm, yeah, well, yeah, he was bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, they would have been hearing those things, okay? But John, the word of God comes to him. Where is he at? Out in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And the, the imagery here is many times a, a conquering king, as they were coming into the city, would, would send word ahead, and the, the people would say, okay, the, the, the road leading in, It'd be like if we were like, man, Lynch Road is like the worst road. Like we're going to have some royalty come in and they're going to be coming in on Lynch. Let's fix that thing up, straighten it out, put some decorations, let's make it look good, right? That's the picture. But Jesus says he's coming in. What's he doing? It's not just leveling and like kind of getting rid of potholes. Mountains leveled, valleys filled in. This is a big entrance. John is that forerunner saying, Let's straighten out the path. The king is coming. Now, John wore a garment. Now, this comes from Matthew chapter 3. I wanted to throw this in. Matthew's uh, telling of John's introduction adds this extra little bit of information, and it's important to get, just try to get a mental image of this guy, okay? I thought about, for those of you that know me, I thought about to help with the mental image coming out like this, but I was afraid it might scar you for life, so I decided. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust. I thought about, you know, give me some locust and lava, you know, just furs. Um, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. They were baptized by him in the River Jordan, confessing their sins. So you get people, all kinds of people. That means every single person, that all the people, right? That means every single person, all kinds of people were coming out, Okay. You see that when we go back to Luke. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him. And some of you remember this. What a way to start a sermon, right? And Luke is capturing, this is the, the capturing of what, what this John the Baptist guy was about. How's he start? The way maybe I ought to start. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I should just start every Sunday that way. When you guys show up for church, like, I'm so glad to be here with such a hard week, you brood of vipers. Who told you to go to church? That's how John, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? What's he say then here? The gist of much of his preaching centered in this direction. This, this is the leveling of mountains and the clearing, like straighten up. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Don't just fake it. It's got to be real. God is not interested in your fake repentances. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to get children from Abraham. Like your lineage isn't going to do a lick of good. God can make 
Children of Abraham, these rocks on the ground. Even now, he says, you ought to hurry in your repentance. Because even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. I hope that doesn't cause us any stress for Aaron back there. The <laughs> Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Aaron's like, no, I'm ready to do it again. I can tell. He's... This is John. The crowds hearing this have a, oh, what, are, what are we supposed to do then? And this is just a, a snippet of the types of applications he gave. Very personal to each person's, in particular, their stories. What do we do? What, what about us, the crowds? What do we do? Answer them. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Be good, loving people. Share your stuff. Tax collectors. Oh, man, those tax collectors. The worst of the worst. They also came to be baptized. What's he tell them? Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you're authorized to do. You, you, gotta, you have an authorized amount you're supposed to collect. Do that, and that's it. Stop cheating the people. Do what's right. Soldiers also asked him, what do we do? Don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. And so he lays these out, Luke does. John's ministry, in a nutshell, summarized by Luke. I shared that one extra piece from Matthew. The other gospel writers share other little tidbits here and there. This, like I said, came from last January. But I want you to think about this guy for a minute. Have you ever gotten behind somebody like this, a tell-it-like-it-is person? I, I kind of feel like this is the kind of crowd that goes, I, that's the kind of guy I'd like to get behind. Tell it like it is. I think if John the Baptist is here, I think this is the same crowd that probably would have been like, where's he preaching at? He's down by the Vermilion River. Let's go see him. Right? Go down and see this crazy guy dressed in, you know, eating, eating locusts and wild honey. And he'd, be like, he'd be like, this is corrupt and this is corrupt. And, and people coming down, well, what about us? What should we, we'll stop doing that. And you all would have been like, exactly, that's what I would have told him too. But I was kind of nervous because I didn't. You know, and then, but what, should, what about us? What should we do? And you, well, you should do that. Oh, that hurt a little bit. But oh, okay, I get what you're saying, right? I mean, that's the kind of person. And, and can you just see yourself getting behind a guy like this? Now, I want you to sprinkle into this, okay? So, I mean, I think that there's a natural inclination. Sprinkle into this some other historical tidbits. Like, I think that we can really relate to this because I know, because I talked to some of you, that you look at what's going on in our country and you go, we're, we're losing our country. It's going down the tubes. It's, you know, it's getting flushed right now. Oh, my word. Like, and, and when you hear somebody that stands up and goes, well, this is what it is, don't you go, yeah, tell it. Don't you like that? Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, now think about this. Add, add on to this. So, so in, in their situation, they had lost their country to the Roman rule. So it's even a step beyond where we're at. In fact, we know from historical records there was a real sense at that time because there's another little piece sprinkled in there. They had Now, see, we, we know Jesus is going to come back. There's a return we're waiting for. When things get really bad, what do you go? I wish it would be today. Right? Come on back, Jesus, because this is getting real bad down here. Come on back. Now, now, but for them, it wasn't a return. They were looking for this, this, this coming. Now, that we know that there's aspects they didn't understand about Jesus, but there's one thing that they thought. When he was going to come in, he was going to set some things straight. 
We can see that from those prophecies that you can straighten the paths, do these things. And this Jesus, but there was a real sense that when that Messiah came, he was going to be a guy that was going to come in and he's going to set things straight and he was going to, this is how it's supposed to go. And he was going to have a serious impact on their actual world, their government. That's what they thought about the Messiah coming. So imagine for those people Meeting somebody like John is telling it like it is. What would one of your thoughts be? Because I know some of you think about these kinds of things right now. What, what, is, what do you think one of their thoughts is going to be? Maybe he's the Messiah. I mean, he's, man, this is the kind, I mean, if he's not, this is exactly what we're looking for in a Messiah to set things straight. And so people are looking to him. In fact, if we go on, verse 15. What does it say? That exact thing. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, what question? Whether or not he might be the Christ. That's what they were thinking. Maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is, this is the thing. You ever have that thought? Like things are going sour and you go, I found the thing. This is the thing. This is the thing, and everybody needs to see this thing. This is the thing. And if everybody just see this thing, everybody go, oh, gosh, we were wrong. We should start doing this. Right? And then what do you do? You share it, and you show it, and you, you know, you, did you read this? Did you watch this? Did you see this? This is the thing. What were these people doing? I imagine this is why, one of the reasons why everybody was coming out to see John. Oh, man, I saw John. He's the thing. <laughs> You've got to come see him. They came out to see him, and he's like, Stop sinning. Oh, man, that hurt. You, you might be the thing. He's straightening people out. And people are repenting. Like people that you wouldn't have thought were coming to John and saying, I want to be baptized too. And he said, that's, that's great. Let's dunk you, but you got to repent, my friend. And so they're looking to him. So now the question becomes this. What does he do? How does he respond when people look to him? What's his response going to be in his ministry? What happens? And I think we're going to see three things. In the text that I'm going to talk about today, just the next three verses, we're going to see three things that I think that John does. But in a nutshell, what he does is he goes, it's Jesus. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not it. I'm not the thing. I'm not what you're looking for. It's Jesus. There's a Messiah coming. And there's three ways, I think, in this text that he does that. So let's go, let's dig in to verse 16. And there's going to be two in this particular verse I'm going to look at. So introduction over for those of you that are keeping track. Introduction over. Meat of the sermon. Get out your steak knives and your forks. We're going to dig in here. John answered them. So I have to say, there's a lot of big-name pastors that I wish would have responded more like this. I feel like almost every day there's another big-name preacher that you hear about that falls to the wayside. And, and one of the reasons why I say I wish more would have responded because the more people that go, they, they allow people to look to them instead of pointing through. And I know some of them do a great job of pointing through. But there's many that what happens is when they fall, what happens a lot of times with the people that were listening to them they fall too. John the Baptist, 
Don't come out here to see me. It's, it's him. I always picture him saying it with a little bit of a crazy look in his eye, like, it's not me. <laughs> Biting a locust head off. It's not me, it's him. John answers them and says this. I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay, I'm going to talk about the first one. Jesus fills a much greater role than John ever does. Let me show you where I get this. He says this, he who is mightier than I is coming. There was a time, I'll come back to this in just a second, there was a time in Jesus' day, there was a first century rabbi, I found this quoted by one of my commentators, he said, he said, every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do. If you're a disciple, you, anything a, a slave would do, a disciple ought to do. But I'll tell you what, one thing that the, a, a disciple does not do is unstrap the sandal that's going too far. That's a saying from that time period. Like there's no task too menial. Like, well, then unlace my sandal. No, that's too much. That's ridiculous. Who would do that? That's, I'm a disciple, not a... What does John say? He who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy. I'm not even worthy to do that. Now, I know all you children from the 80s, when I say I'm not worthy, you start getting a picture of a couple of idiots going, we're not worthy. (laughs) Okay. But think about worth for a second. Worthy. Somebody's worthy. John is saying, my worth in comparison to his greatness, like the, to do the most menial of tasks, I'm below that. Now, all these people were coming out to see John, weren't they? Oh, the great John. And John goes, I'm not worthy to do The one that's coming, I'm not worthy to do that. Anything that you do for God's kingdom on behalf of the Son of God is a privileged leap out of your own deserved position. Anything that you do for God's kingdom on behalf of the Son of God is a privileged leap out of your own deserved position. For some I know in this room, you already get this. You walk around in a state of, I am not worthy. So I know bringing up this first point, some of you, that's, that's a hard pill, hard pill to swallow because like, you think you're pretty awesome. But most of you in here, you go, no, I, I get that. You feel that way all the time, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to try to talk you out of that. But Jesus didn't die on the cross because you are worthy. He died on the cross because he is worthy. Now, I, I used to have students when I would, I, now I know I've made a couple of teacher references today already, but I'm, I'm a dean now, and so I do look fondly back at my teaching years, but I can remember every once in a while I'd have a student who would just hate math. And it's very tough to 
teach math to somebody that hates math. One of the greatest accomplishments that I had as a teacher was when I would have somebody that just had always done poorly at math. In fact, there's one kid in particular I always remember. It was my second or third year of teaching. His name was Zach. And I'm, I'm mentioning his name because um, he, uh, I think it was about three years ago, he, he had cancer and passed away. Um, but um, I always remember Zach because this, this kid, Zach, he, he would like, Mr. Harmless, don't waste your time <laughs> teaching me math. I, I'm not going to get it. And I, I worked with him. He used to come after school and like, you know, in that little bit of time before I go home, and I'm like, well, and this one time I was like, Zach, just tell you what, try, I, I want you to try. He goes, I am trying. And I said, not, not like I mean, though. Like, I want you to do, and I kind of talked to him about what trying actually looked like. You know, there, there was a degree of what trying looked like, and he wasn't doing those things. I said, why don't you just, just, just for two weeks, do this. You know, and it was little things like, do every single problem. If you don't understand a problem, write a question off to the side. He said, that's a lot of work, Mr. Arm. I said, I know, but I, I just, just do this for me, two weeks. And he did. By the time we got to the next test, and then he started asking questions, because he'd have actual real questions when we got to class, because he'd tried the problem, and he knew what the question was. And he was start- now, I had a reason why I was going through all this, because one of the ways you learn math is to know exactly what you don't know, so that you can figure out what you don't know, so you can learn it, right? I mean, that's what you have to do. And he wasn't there, but then when he started really asking good questions, he started going, I don't know how to do, how did you do this part here? And I explained it, go, and you'd see the look on his face, like the light bulbs going on, right? Now, of all the kids that I've had that got the A on the next test, when they went around and they started going, Mr. Harmless helped me. The ones that brought me the greatest joy, and I don't want to stretch this, but the greatest glory to me was a kid like that. See, when you come to Christ in a completely unworthy state, and you're like, my life is a wreck, I'm a ruin, and you're just, but you go out in the world and you're like, but I'm Jesus's. It doesn't bring him glory when you go, I'm not worthy, and then like somebody brings up Trish, and I'm like, I'm not even going to say it because I'm such a horrible person. I'm not gonna. No, if you're like, I'm one of Jesus's. That, my friends, brings him the greatest glory. Even in your screw-ups, when you screw up and you're like, you have to go to, you go to your work and you're like, I'm so sorry, I'm such an idiot, I did this, this wrong thing, and I know you guys saw that happen, and I know that you saw I was telling you I was a Christian, and I did this again, and I'm so sorry, but, I, but when you like throw yourself back on the mercies and the grace of Jesus Christ, that brings him the most glory and makes him look the greatest. There's a very distinct difference between a false humility and a true humility. A false humility is the one that's like, I'm not worthy. But when you like live there, what are you saying about Jesus when you don't run back to his grace? You're saying he's not great enough for your wretchedness. And I'm telling you right now, he is. He is great enough. I don't care what you've done or where you've been or how you've lived. You come to Christ, his mercy surpasses all that you've ever done. When you come back to him and you just say, he's my savior. And then people go, they come to you and they're like looking at you and they're going, man, you're, you're, you're still pretty much a screw up when I think of screw up, screwed up people. But I have to say, there's something different now. Right? And you go, that's Jesus. In that moment, 
He's glorified. When you say, I'm not worthy to even unlatch his. But see, you know what John, we're not going to get to this today, but you know what John does after this? Jesus comes to John and says, John, I want you to baptize me. Okay, now, no, wait a minute. Think about that for a second. Like to baptize somebody? I know how some of you think. You're like, well, no, only the pastor can do that. The really good people, right? That's not, okay. But Jesus comes to John and says, John, could you baptize me? And John's like, now he'd already said, I, can't, I shouldn't even be unbuckling your sandals. And he says, and he says to Jesus, yeah, I, you should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, for now, and there's a, there's a whole, but he says, and do you know what John does? He doesn't go, no, I'm just not worthy. I can't do it. And Jesus doesn't have to have an argument with him. And say, no, I need you to do but, but I'm not worthy to do it. Yeah, and that, no, that's not. John goes, okay, I'll do it. In his known unworthiness, he obeys Christ, and it brings Jesus glory. As you see, one of Jesus' most glorifying moments, when the Spirit of God descends on him. And, and what was an essential part of that? Unworthy John just doing what he was told. So I'm not going to get up here. And try to pat you on the back and make you feel better and say, no, you're worthy. Jesus did not die on the cross because he looked at you and said, man, they're worth it. He looked at you and said, they're not worth it. But what would bring God the most glory in his graciousness and his love for humanity is to die for a bunch of unworthy wretches. And that's exactly what he did. And we as unworthy wretches look at him and say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that it wasn't dependent on how good I was that he did this. Jesus' role is amazingly great. We're unworthy to even undo his sandals, but he still called you, my friends. If you're here today, he's called, there's purposes he has for you. And you need to stop wallowing, and you're like, I shouldn't even do the same. Okay, we get it. You shouldn't. We know it. Great. I'm glad you know that. But start doing what he tells you to do, because he's worth it. Next, Jesus does a greater ministry than John. What did John say specifically? I baptize you with water. He's going to do something different. Okay? Now, if you come up here, and we've had a few of these last few weeks, when I baptized you with water, you know what you got? I thought somebody would know. Wet. (laughs) Now, it was a picture of something else, wasn't it? There, there's, a, there's a real immersion into something amazing that happens. And I'm, I'm just picturing that. And that's what John said. I, I'm, by, I'm, I'm getting you wet. But the one who comes after me, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, I'm going to take the fullness of what he's saying in that. I'm going to put it right here. Let's sit it down right there. Baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, that's a big, big kind. I'm just going to sit it right here for a minute. You guys okay with that? I thought about spending a significant amount of time today trying to figure out exactly what this means and explaining it to you. And I thought, you know what? I think a better way of explaining exactly what that means is the entire rest of the book of Luke. 
Okay, so, so I thought, okay, so this, this, this is going to... So if you're sitting there going, but what does that mean? Uh, l- let's do this for now. Baptized with water, representative of what Jesus is going to do for real. People get, by Jesus, immersed into the Holy Spirit and fire. You go, well, I don't know if I want that to happen. <laughs> you do. This is the changing power of the Spirit, to be immersed into the very Spirit of God. I want you to just go, whatever that means, whatever that looks like, that's the real deal. Do you remember earlier when I saw up speakers that come and say, and, and you, you hear it and you go, that's the real, that's, that's the thing. I'm going to do that to you right now. That's the thing. It's not... I don't care what you put, I don't care what kinds of things are going on in the world, that the answer to people changing is that. And Jesus does that work. We don't need to rewrite any constitutions. We don't need to fix those things. We don't need to go back to those things. Those things are all wonderful. But you know what really needs to happen? People need to get immersed into the power of the Spirit of God and changed. That's the real thing that needs to happen. And if you preach anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're missing the point. And you're talking about getting wet when John's saying, forget that, that's about this. Jesus' ministry is big. He baptizes with those two things, the Holy Spirit and fire. I will tell you that that baptized with fire, there's two kind of, like three different ways of thinking about that. It could mean another reference just back to the Holy Spirit. We see some of that in Acts and Luke where when the Spirit comes, it's like a flames of fire. We see those types of things. It could be that. It could have more of a context. When you look at the rest of the context of this, it could be this idea that, that judgment is tied in with it. That's, that's one of the thoughts. One of the pastors I was reading on this particular thought, he said, John wishes to set the record straight, though, immediately. That's his big concern. He tells him that his baptism was symbolic. The true baptism includes the gift of God himself, the Holy Spirit. John makes clear that the Messiah will bring God's fire of judgment. And so there's some that lean that that's what it's about. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to leave it on the shelf, though. Can we just leave it here and say, whatever it means exactly, I'm not sure. But what I do know is that's the real thing that we need. And I think that we're, as we unfold the rest of what Jesus does, I mean, there's a whole book about it here we're going to read, isn't there? I think we're going to start to go, I think that's what the Holy Spirit and fire kind of baptism is all about. Look what he does. Look how he ministers. Look at what he preaches about. Look, look at these things. I think we're going to, I don't think I could do that in one Sunday. I think we're going to have to unfold that big. But I want, uh, what I want you to do is to go, not the symbol only. We want the real thing. And the only one that ministers this is Christ himself. Now, I will say, one of the things that John does, because we're talking about how John points to Jesus, one of the things that John does that you can do as well is to point to Jesus. Now, I've got one more point, but let's, let's think about what he's doing here. In the first example we had 
this reality that you and your unworthiness, when you just start obeying Jesus, points to Christ and, and, and points to his greatness and his glory. You and your sinful, as you're repenting of your sin, and you're just, just looking to him, and, and no matter how many times you fall down, and you get back up, and you're, okay, I'm repenting, I'm turning back to him, and you're professing that, and, you're, and your unworthiness, that, that points to Christ, does it not? And it makes him look great. But another way we see here is in those actions of ministry. Let me give you a couple examples. I was talking to Charity about this this morning. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, I'll start off with my wife as an example. My wife is an amazing gift giver. I am not. I usually give gifts and people go, okay, did I open the wrong one? Or is this? My wife gives gifts and people go, how did you know? using the gift-giving example. When you show those acts, you know, one of the ways you can begin pointing, because what does John do? The the ministry I did, this baptism, is just pointing to him. There's something bigger. What could you do with gift-giving? Somebody goes, man, you're you're such a good gift-giver. Oh, man, I have to tell you about the best gift-giver. Point to Jesus. My father-in-law, picking on my family today, he can throw a good party. Chip dip, amazing. Mm-hmm. Feast. When he's having a party, you're going to feast. That's why I'm this big. No, <laughs> no, this is my fault. Um, it, what can you do? Man, you throw a great party. What can he do? There's a feast coming. Right? What about when you're at work? You just show a little bit of compassion, or you show mercy, or you show grace, or you're just kind. What can you? People, are like, man, that's so. You're such a nice person. You know, I gotta tell you. Right? He's point. We're talking about this this morning as well. How you have to be careful. Like sometimes, uh, in fact, we were talking about saying it, like it's, it's easy, like if somebody says, and I, I've done this many times in my life as, as a pastor, somebody will say, that was a really good sermon, and, and I'll say, Samuel did the same thing, like, that's not me, it's Jesus, right? We, and we know that. It's Jesus. But you have to be real careful, like sometimes you have to do this in such a way, sometimes with certain people you have to do this in such a way to, to guide them into that. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I do as a pastor, somebody says, like, man, that was a good sermon, I'll, I'll go... I, I take a mental position as if I was down here, because honestly, that's what it feels like to me sometimes. And I'll go, and this might sound weird, but I go, I, I kind of join in, not to give myself a pat on the back, but I'll, I'll be like, yeah, that one point, I was like, I had no idea where that was coming from, and God just showed that, that was, a, that was awesome. I did not see that one coming at all. Like, in fact, today, the message I had today, I was going to go a completely different direction, but the more I was looking at the text, and oh, God, oh, that's where I ought to go. Jesus, what I do? Matt, that was a good, you preached well. You know, I got to tell you about the most amazing preacher. Right? Now, the final way that John shows, and this is what we're going to close with here these last few minutes, really puts the pressure on. What John says next is this, and he says it this way. Jesus completes 
more than what John does, Jesus completes a greater purpose, ultimately. Verse 17. Now, remember, he's saying, I'm, he looked to Jesus. His ministry is greater. He, I baptize this way. He does this. I, I do that. He does it. I'm not even worthy to. But then he says this next. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. A uh, winnowing fork is, looks like this. What would happen is, uh, in Bible days, a lot of times they would have a, a big circular flat piece of ground that was nice hard packed ground, and they would take the wheat and they'd put it on the ground. And a lot, they, a lot of times they'd have oxen just going, walking around in circles. Sometimes they'd have pulling behind the oxen, they'd have like a, just some boards, flat pieces of wood together. And sometimes they would even embed rocks into it to help break up what it was breaking up the wheat. And so then they'd even have like little kids sitting on it, sometimes add some weight and they'd drag it around and it would break up the wheat. But then the farmer would come in with the winnowing fork and the stuff had been crushed and crushed and crushed and crushed and crushed. And he would come over and he would dig that winnowing fork, especially they'd use the weight for a nice windy day. And they'd scoop that winnowing fork in there and they'd just throw it up in the air. And what would happen? The wheat would fall. And the chaff, blow away. That chaff would eventually be collected to be burned. The wheat would be collected and brought into the barn. That's what the picture is here. I have another picture here of uh, some farmers doing this, right? Throwing it up and the chaff is going to blow away. The wheat's going to, it's heavier, it's going to fall back down. There's an... In a very real way, from our perspective, from my perspective, from your perspective, there's an indistinguishable nature many times, not all the time, but many times there's an indistinguishable nature between those who are truly seeking God's kingdom, that have recognized their own unworthiness and have fallen headlong into the ministry of Christ to be baptized by his spirit and his fire. There's some people who know how to play that role. One of the reasons why Jesus is the one that we listen to and not John is because the one who will sit at the end of time, that's not just the teacher and the savior, but who will one day be the judge, is that same Jesus. Now, who do you want to listen to to determine how you ought now to live? Is it not the one who will be sitting at the end of time as the judge of the world? Who's going to be going... I think that's why John brings this up next. It's to say, by the way, at the end, it's not going to be me up there. I'm glad, because I would probably get it wrong. But there's one who's going to be up there. And like, for them, this picture would have been so relevant. They would have all seen this many times in their life. He says like, like the winnowing fork. In fact, he goes, the winnowing fork, Jesus has a winnowing fork in his hand right now and he's, he's separating that, that's starting now and one day this work will be complete and the chaff will be burned, he says, in unquenchable fire and the wheat will be gathered into his barns. And that, my friends, is why John says, if you're coming out here to see me, don't. 
you got it, it's him. The final verse for today is this one. This is as far as I could get. I almost saved this one for next week, but there's something important that he says in here. Luke says this, he says, So with many other exhortations, John preached... All right, now I'm going, to pause. I'm going to read this, and I'm going to pause at a certain point. So I want you to follow along, kids. And when I pause, then I want you to read the next two words, okay? So I'm going to read and pause. You read the next two words. You ready for it? Okay. So with many other exhortations, he preached... Hmm. Okay, now, if you have your Bible out, I want you to scan back through. Which parts of what he said was good? <laughs> or felt good? <laughs> Maybe that's the better question. Luke summarizes this preaching. Now, what, let's, think, let's, just, let's just scan back through here for a second. You brood of vipers. <laughs> Who warned you? Repent. What do we do? Do this. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing this. Are you the Christ? No, I'm not the Christ. I baptize with water. He's coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. I'm not even worthy to unlace his sandals. Oh, wow, John, you're pretty rough. I can't imagine. And then he says, and the, the one who's coming, the winnowing fork is in his hand, and he's, he's sifting it out on the threshing floor, and the, the chaff is going, to be, is going to be blown away and burned with unquenchable fire. And then Luke goes, and with many other things, John preached the good news. <laughs> did John did Luke mess up here? I see the good news in this. I think of these hard things, the hard, difficult pills to swallow. The and and words like unquenchable fire. That little combination, unquenchable fire. You know, something like that, to, to take that, what those things do is they make the good news even better, okay? Because this same Jesus that John is pointing to, we're going to look through his life, and he's going you know, to do something unthinkable. He's going to identify himself with sinners, He's going to live perfectly. He's not going to mess up one time. And then at the end, he's going to say, I'm going to die on this cross, even though I could snap my fingers and stop the whole thing. I'm going to do it. And this sacrifice of my own life is going to save these people. What a great Jesus. What a great Jesus. This week, I want to encourage you to find ways to do ministry for the sole purpose of showing people the greater minister. Be kind. And pray, Lord, Lord, give me some opportunity. Some of you go, I don't feel like I have enough opportunities to talk about Jesus. And I have to attribute this to you. We were talking about this this morning and she said, I'm going to steal her phrase. One of the reasons why many of us, we don't have those opportunities is because we're not ministering to anybody. And maybe one of the reasons why you haven't had opportunities is because you haven't been doing the things that, are, that, that people are going, that's kind of like Jesus. That's what happened with John. Kind of like Jesus. 
Maybe you need to start doing some of those things. Now, I will say, I'll be the first to line up and say all of the things John was doing, in fact, none of them mentioned are just being nice. I mean, those things are good. Be loving, be kind, go out into the world, do those things. But that's not, that's, I can't say that from this text because John wasn't doing those things. He was saying, you need to repent. In fact, it's going to get him in some really hot water because the next part that's shared is he gets thrown into prison for talking about um, Herod the Tetrarch marrying his brother's wife. And that gets him thrown into prison for those. I mean, so, I mean, not everybody goes, oh, are you Jesus? No, some people go, you're going to jail. Maybe that what may be what happens as you go out into the world and in the midst of your kind, gracious attitude like Christ, you also have to say, you know, when somebody goes, I just don't, this thing in my life, and I'm doing this thing in life, and you, sometimes you're going to have to just go, you know, what you, what you really need to do is just stop doing that, repent. That's sin. And there's a Jesus coming, and the winnowing fork is in his hand, and the chaff is going to be burned in unquenchable fire. I think you may be surprised some of those people, instead of going, ooh, that's judgment, they're going to go, you're right. This I've known it, but you said it. And you can go, it's Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for John the Baptist. Lord, I thank you for his ministry on this earth. I thank you that he pointed to you obediently. As popular as he was, Lord, he could have begun to to just enjoy the glory and the popularity, but he didn't do that. He continued to point to you. Lord, I think of how John, the, the apostle, shares John the Baptist story, and he says one of the things that John said was, he must increase, but I must decrease. Help us to have that same attitude, pointing to you in all that we do. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, I know I need it. Give us wisdom to discern how and when to call people to repentance. Lord, I find it easy knowing when to to demonstrate love and kindness, but to go that next step in the times when it's necessary to to just say, you know what you need to do, my friend, is repent. Lord, I, I need wisdom to know when that is right and good. And Lord, I pray that when it is right and good, that I won't back down. Lord, I won't shy away from what you've called me to do. I pray all these things now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, thank you for coming today. Have a good rest of your week.